2: they're cheering down here I don't know if it's worthy though given this market action welcome to overtime I'm Scott Wapner you just heard the bells we are just getting started from post nine here at the New York Stock Exchange where stocks had an absolutely miserable day Ed Denny is gonna join us in just a bit to try and make sense of it all tell us what he thinks might happen next Adobe earnings also crossing any moment now the tech space wrecked big time today too We'll have that report. The stock move, of course, that follows there. We begin, though, with our talk of the tape. How bad might it get for your money at a time when some were planning for a year-end rally? Let's ask Canners Eric Johnston, who was not in that camp. He made his case a couple weeks ago. Stocks had some major pain ahead. He's here with me on set at Post 9. Uh, It's good to see you again. Good to see you, Scott. Uh, You nailed it. I don't know what else to say. I mean, uh, 12-2, you said. Bearish. Let's get bearish. S&P's down near 5% since then.
3: What did you see? So I think that the good news in the market, which has been the Fed is done, or close to done, um, inflation's falling, and China reopening, is now in prices, and that's now behind us. And now where we look forward, we have the reality of living with the 5% Fed funds rate, with earnings that are still far too high and need to come down, the economy that's going to continue to slow down even further than where it is now, and we're living with—we're going to be living with QT—not only here in the U.S. a trillion dollars over the course of a year, but also in Europe, as we heard today. Right, let's go a couple things real quick. Sure. So you say the five percent funds rate as if it's in stone. Okay.
2: Okay. Powell's trying to chisel it. Yes. The market says not so fast. Right. Two years not not close to that yet. Yes. So there's a disconnect between the two.
3: Why are you so convinced they'll get there? So I'm actually, I think it'll be 5% and I'll say plus or minus 25 bips, And I don't really think it's gonna matter because here's the deal, is that the only way they're gonna get to five or five and a quarter is if we're here around around 3,900 in equities and things are fine in the economy. The way that they don't get there is if equities are down at thirty-seven hundred, thirty-six hundred, and the economy starting to roll over, which is why I think it is a lose-lose right now for equities. A negative note, no matter what side of the that's right, which some make the if, case. And, and part of the issue is is that if the market does hold in there and he gets to five and a quarter percent, that's just going to make the fall even greater down, down the line. So I, I think it's a lose-lose situation right now at 18 times earnings. So forget the year-end rally, they all but killed that yesterday? Is that yes. what you
2: think? Despite uh, your yes, overall negative sure. view, it doesn't do.
3: mean that we couldn't have a tactical move within it, right? Yes, I think it's, I think it's very doubtful. And I'll tell you why. Because if you kind of back about a month month and a half ago positioning was very offsides CTAs were still very short hedge fund net long exposure was very low that has now that has now changed CTAs bought their 200 billion dollars and are now running net long hedge funds have brought up their net long exposure. So that positioning sort of rip due to short covering, I think is probably now off the table. And as we look forward to January and February, there's a couple different issues, which is number one, earnings season. And I do think that estimates are going to come down a fair amount. And then number two is seasonality around January and February. So I'll give you a couple statistics. People think January is typically a good month. In the last 22 years, the market has actually been down in January and February, 13 of those times. And during bear markets, it's been down 100% of the time. So if you look at 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2008, 2009, 2020, 2022, January and February, all those bear markets was down each time by a significant amount. So I think we have some headwinds over the course of the next three months ahead of us. Did you expect the outlook to be as hawkish as it was seemingly yesterday?
2: 5.1, 17 of 19 see it over 5%, whereas zero did not that
3: long ago. It was a a little bit surprising. I I didn't think that Powell was going to give an inch to the doves because... As soon as he does that, then all of a sudden financial conditions loosen too much. Which they already had Which done they, since or, the that's last right. meeting. And he mentioned that as an, a thing that he's concerned about. And also there was a big gap between the December meeting and the next meeting. And I think that he wants to keep his doors, essentially keep the doors open on the hawkish side where he can always reverse that. But if he cannot reverse, if he had been been dovish, so you know, in the end, I think that it was somewhat, you know, kind of somewhat in line with what I was thinking, maybe slightly more hawkish. The question, I suppose,
2: at this point is, what's the fallout going to be from all of this? If the economy is going to go off a cliff, if there's going to be a recession? I spoke with Double Line's Jeffrey Gunlock as you probably know yesterday. He says a recession's more likely. Let's
3: listen. I think it's a better than 75% probability. There's two things that people aren't really talking about that really make a difference. No one talks about M2 anymore, or money supply, and it's growing at a super slow rate. In fact, the six month rate is negative. And I think the year over year rate, the 12 month rate, which I think is less significance, but it's interesting that's down near zero as well. So there's not a lot of liquidity out there and making liquidity more difficult, obviously, is the Fed raising rates, but no one also talks about uh, enough. Quantitative tightening. Jay Powell said $95 billion a month. I mean, this is a lot. This this, this hurts liquidity conditions. It hurts the economy.
2: That's gun lock. 75% chance of recession. Is that where you are? Higher, lower? Um,
3: I w- so here's what I would say. I would say that there was, there's going to be a recession in 23 or 24, right? The unemployment rate is 3.5%. Over the course of time, it ranges from 3.5% to 10%. Three and a half percent by definition, you're getting close to the end of the cycle, and so I think there's I think that 75% chance in 2023 makes a lot of sense, and I would I would agree with that. I'd be I'd be around that level um, for the reasons he stated um, and and more. Um, but let's say that it doesn't happen in 23. It's not like we're out of the woods. The market will then start pricing in that we're going to have a recession in 24, and so they'll put a lower multiple on those 23 earnings because. It's coming, it's just a matter of when, and we are at the end of the cycle with the unemployment rate of 3.5%, not at the beginning of the cycle. So
2: here's what I want you to help me understand, help our viewers understand this, because you make, as we discussed the last time, a lot of tactical calls. Mm -hmm. You can change your mind based on where conditions are. It sounds to me like you're pretty set in stone on what the outlook is, not just in the near term, but for the next year. What could change your view? If a pivot can't, if a pause can't,
3: what can? So one thing is going to be is going to be price. So um, I think that you know anywhere around these levels, you know, above 3700, above 3800. Um, it's, it, the outlook is very, is very poor. The risk reward in owning equities is, is very poor. Um, once we get down to the 3,600, 3,500 area, then we have to see what the conditions are on the ground. And that's something that I'll be you know, reassessing at that point because price and what, where do we stand? You know, one of the things that is ahead of us are these estimate revisions that everyone's talking about. And it's very hard to own a stock when you know that estimates are going to be going down. It's very hard to own equities when you know the economy is gonna get worse. It's very hard to own equities when quantitative tightening is ahead of us in the U.S., in Europe. You have too many headwinds. Now where you can do that is if the multiple is 13 times and we were at S&P 3000, okay, then you could say, okay, well, there's valuation, there's reasons why you can argue. But at 18 times earnings, and then you add what I just said together, it's just very hard to see any upside in this market. 36 to 3800, is that, I mean, do we do a new low or? Yeah, so I think we're going to the low 3000s and where we are, whether it's you know 3100 or 3400, I don't know, but I think we're going to the low 3000s and I think it likely occurs in the first half of the year. Um, you know, so that's my, you know, that's my overall, uh, overarching okay. view. So let's expand the conversation. because I think
2: we're we're set up for a good debate here. CNBC contributor Stephanie Link of Hightower Advisors is with us. Erica Clower of Jenison Associates, ladies, it's good to have you. Uh, Steph, you first, nice because to be here. what Eric says piques my interest in what you think about. It's hard to own equities in, in this kind of environment, at these kinds of valuations. You have been selectively adding to stocks. I'm wondering what you make of what he said. Do you push back against it? How do you counter that?
4: Well, I mean, I think that, look, there's a lot of unknowns, so you have to take a longer term approach, and that's what I'm trying to do. A lot of stocks are down much more than the S&P 500, Scott, as you know. I mean, the s and is down, what, 17% year to date. And I've got stocks, and stocks that I don't even own that I watch, that are down 30, 40, 50, 60% on the year. Uh, and that's, uh, it, that's despite the fact that we just actually had a rally of about 9% before today uh, from the lows. So to me, I'm just trying to look for long-term opportunities, uh, good valuations, best-in-class businesses. Um, and, uh, and I think even though that there is a lot of unknowns, I think there's a couple of things I, I, that I want to point to that it's not all gloom and doom. As I mentioned, the market's already down a lot and discounting a lot of bad news. There is more momentum in the economy in certain places. Places, certainly jobs and wages and input costs and gasoline prices all coming down. Those are good things. And even the Atlanta Fed, the GDP now, Atlanta Fed, today, even after the dismal retail sales numbers, still looking at 2.8, uh, sorry, uh, 2.8% for GDP for the fourth quarter. So I still believe um, that you know, y- there are some opportunities. We're going to be in a choppy trading range, but I think now is the, the time you want to set yourself up in the portfolio for 2023 based on the prices that we've been seeing in 2022.
2: Uh, what, what do you say to that? Oh, by the way, before you answer that, Adobe is out, uh, and Frank Holland is going through that. Uh, looks to me like we've got a jump for the stock, too, if we could take a look at that. But again, uh, Frank Holland's going through Adobe. It's a a critical time for these earnings uh, because tech has just gotten crushed, and it did again today. We're going to hear from Frank in just a moment, but how, Eric Johnston, do you counter what Steph said? It's not like she's the only person suggesting that the environment isn't quite as bad as you and some others would suggest it is.
3: What do you say? So, right now, the market's trading at 17 and a half times earnings that I think most people agree are too high. The multiple over the last 30 years has been higher than 18 times uh, twice. Once was after COVID when interest rates were zero and estimates had plunged, right? And then the other time was in the late 90s when the internet was literally invented and we had the internet bubble. Outside of that, it hasn't traded above 18 times in the last 30 years. So if you're owning equities, right, you need upside. I would be curious what, um, you know, is the multiple and what are the earnings that we should be looking at for upside, you know, for those that are bullish.
2: Steph, and uh, Erica, I'll come to you in a second, I promise, but Steph, how how do you respond?
4: Yeah, because I'm not buying things that are at 17 and 18 times earnings. I'm buying Lamb Research at 13 times earnings. I'm buying Broadcom at 13 and a half times earnings. DR Horton at 1.3 times book. Morgan Stanley, 14 times earnings. So to me, I'm buying stuff at a discount to the market. And I think that, that they shouldn't be trading at a discount to the market. That's the whole point. I think you're seeing opportunities in a lot of different industries, not just a, not just a certain you know, one or two sectors, across every industry. I'm dying to buy General Mills next Tuesday after they report earnings. But that stock is expensive, right? It is 20, uh, 20 times earnings. But if it were to pull back, I like that story very much. And so I'm making my shopping list.
2: Okay. Erica, so, you know, you've, you've got two interesting perspectives here. Which side are you more weighted towards?
5: Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, And second, what I would say is our team at Jenison really takes a much more holistic view to all of this. We're looking at headwinds that are coming from things we haven't talked about yet here, such as the need to diversify your manufacturing supply chain and what that means for inflation for a lot of companies globally. That's a negative we have to deal with. We also have to deal with the persistently strong dollar, which effectively Puts a price increase for our goods to sell internationally, which is also a headwind. And then third, what we are looking at from a genison perspective is continued signs of COVID hangover, that people overinvested because of the ease of money supply during COVID, and we're still cycling through a lot of that purchasing. Um, and people just don't need to replace their personal computers, their smartphones, their televisions in their home because they bought them quite recently. So I think that the, the, the approach that we're taking at Jenison is really one of trying to understand product cycles that can do well in spite of these headwinds. Um, larger term trends like data center, like 5G spending, all of those are really important to understanding the opportunities that are, are before us at Jenison.
2: But does any of that matter in an environment where earnings are coming down across the board, more than likely? The multiple is likely to come down across the board uh, and you may have a recession. So I, I appreciate your perspective in what you try and do. Does any of it matter if things get ugly?
5: The answer is at Jenison, we found that if our earnings estimates are correct and we're not having to cut the earnings estimates, then the stocks will perform. And so this kind of climate where there are the haves and the have nots is really the one that we love at Jenison because we feel like we can really pick the winners in a very difficult climate. Um, Steffi mentioned Lamb Research, that's one that you know we, we've, we've identified. NVIDIA is another company that's in disrupting the entire data center business and autonomous driving market. Uh, Broadcom is another one that really is involved in not only advancing the networking infrastructure and, and storage business, but also looking towards supplying the most advanced RF parts for Apple. So we're really picking and choosing in what I think is going to be a, a continued difficult environment.
2: Despite the fact that, you know, you could, I think, fairly say, Erica, that technology is the most at risk from a more hawkish Fed than the market can bear. And I think we're learning that on almost a daily basis. The more hawkish they sound, the more hawkish they act, the more tough tech stocks seem to take it.
5: 100% because there are so many technology stocks that are still very expensive, treating at 10, 15, 20 times revenue. That's just not gonna fly in this kind of environment. Moreover, if we look at the private equity and venture segment, which is one of the largest consumers and fastest growing consumers of technology, as that market has less liquidity that's gonna be a less active buyer of technology products in general. So really our message at Jennison, our approach at Jenison is to look at the companies that can do well in spite of a very difficult climate.
2: Okay, so Eric Johnston, um, I wanna know what you think about what Steph said, right? She, she agrees with you, right? I mean, she also says she's not looking for stocks that are in her mind richly or too richly priced. She's looking for ones that are bargains, that, 11, 12, 13 times. What's wrong with that for a longer term investor? I mean, she's not a, you know, quick tactical in and out sure. person.
3: Sure. I mean, I, you know, I would argue that, you know, Morgan Stanley at 14 times, if, if the S&P goes from 17 to 15 times, Morgan Stanley's going to 12 times and that there'll be correlation within, uh, you know, within the market. Um, and so that's one of the you know, that's one of the issues that's been facing investors all year is that correlation has been very high. Um, you know, clearly there are individual names for sure that you can pick and choose out there. Um, you know, for me, uh, on the short side, I happen to think that cyclicals are have significant downside right now. Um, that's one of our highest conviction thoughts is being, um, you know, underweight, short, however you want to phrase it. Uh, industrials and financials. Um, And I think this is it's one of the great opportunities heading into a weaker economy. Steph, here we go. I'll give you the last word. But I mean, this is what purely makes a market, right? Um, Such diverging
2: views on the same spaces. Someone who's so negative and and short, the places that you like, industrials, you've been you've been talking about them as a positive place to be. Financials, which you just mentioned, I'll give you the last word to counter all, all of that.
4: I uh, <clears throat> I am overweight energy by a mile, as you know, materials, industrials, and a, to a lesser extent, financials. I'm a little bit more choosy there. Um, but I do think, the, and, all, th- and, and, and all, all these sectors have actually held up relatively better than the overall market this year. Um, I think there are structural changes in energy where we're not seeing the production growth that we used to see, and they're using their free cash to buy back stock and, and pay dividends. Uh, on materials, I think they have significant pricing power I uh, just I just added to clefts the other day as you know and they actually announced another price increase this week after another price inc- after a price increase uh, in two months ago. Uh, so they've got pricing power input costs are coming down and that's going to help. So sure, will demand come down as well? Yeah, but I think the margin side of the story for those two sectors will hold up remarkably well. And the same goes for industrials and they benefit from the government stimulus plan that they just passed earlier this year. So they're seeing that demand is, is very strong. And if you listen to Union Pacific CEO, he said demand was extremely strong It's in steel and in cement. Weak in housing, we know that. So I think you're going to have to be a stock picker and, and find the companies that have good end markets and good pricing power.
2: We're going to leave it there. I said you had the last word and I meant it. Erica, thank you. Thank, Stephanie thank Ling, you. To you as well. And, of course, uh, Eric, thank I appreciate you, it very Scott, much. We'll you. see you soon. Adobe earnings, I did mention they're out. Stocks moving. Last check, it was higher. Frank Holland has the numbers and uh, more on that move. Frank?
6: Well, yeah, Scott. Shares of Adobe climbing 5% higher as investors digest this report. Revenues were in line. EPS was a beat. Profit was $0.10 cents above estimates. Adobe makes about 70% of revenues from di- its digital media business. So a really key metric for both demand and customer retention is digital media AAR. That slightly beat estimates. On the report, uh, in the release, some very optimistic talk from CEO Shantanayu Narayan. He talked about the next decade of growth. The CFO said the company wants to capture the massive opportunities in 2023 and beyond. Uh, Foreign guidance was mixed. Revenue was a bit soft, but the top range of EPS guidance was above estimates. Uh, Again, shares moving 5% higher. Back over to you.
2: All right, good stuff, Frank. Thank you. Frank Holland, don't miss Adobe CEO, by the way, on Tech Check. It's tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We want to know, which of these sectors will be the best performer next year? Energy, healthcare, tech, or staples? You can head to at CNBC Overtime on Twitter to cast your vote. We'll share those results a little later on in the hour. We are just getting started, though, here in overtime. Up next, charting the sell-off, top technician Jonathan Krinsky gives his take on today's big drop. If he sees any hope for a year-end rally, Overtime's right back.
6: From a flat tire in the city...
1: yahoo finance.com, the number one financial destination. yahoo finance.com. That's yahoo finance.com. All
2: right, we're back in overtime. Stocks selling off sharply today. Just 10 trading days left now in 2022. Is there any hope for a year-end rally? Let's ask BTIG chief market technician Jonathan Krinsky joins us now on the news line. Uh, all right, Mr. Technician, you have said the setup was pretty negative. After yesterday, after the Fed, and now this follow-through today, which was downright ugly. What do you say now?
7: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's really a, a confirmation of kind of what we've been thinking. Is largely the the counter trend rally off the October lows um, was largely over, and that the. seasonally strong December period that a lot of people were citing and looking for was a much different setup this year because as you recall uh, we've been highlighting when the S&P is down 15% or more through the end of November the average December returns back to 1929 have actually been negative 2.16% so it's a much different setup this year we think it's kind of following that the more bear market style playbook as opposed to the typical seasonal strength that you see in November which is really uh, sorry in December which is really just a function of um, the fact that markets more often than not are up and, and it's just a continuation of that momentum so different so setup um, so, yeah, yeah different right.
2: setup seasonality is up against uh, a pretty big wall uh, clearly so w- what what would have to happen in your mind for a year-end rally to materialize something uh, unforeseen and dramatic
7: yeah I mean, I think uh, the issue is you know you're running running out of uh, out of shot clock here, right? you said ten days left, and you know the catalyst the upside catalyst in our view was this week. Um, so you know, could you get a little bit of bouncer consolidation? Sure, but I think there's an equally, if not better, chance um, of a continuation to the downside. again, I'd, I'd say a couple two key areas stood out for us um, the last couple of days on the sector level, industrials. They were the best performing sector off the October lows, and they put in a bit of a false breakout on uh, the last couple of days and have uh, really broken to the downside. And then semiconductors, if you take it a step below sector level at the industry group level, semis were the best performing industry group over the, uh, off the October lows. And similarly, they tried to break out above uh, the 200-day consolidation and kind of failed. So, you know, again, we think the, the opportunity for that year in rally was probably this week, and uh, it, it doesn't look like it's, you know, at least in a big way going to materialize.
2: So, what levels then? If we're not going up, uh, do we need to watch going down?
7: Yeah, I mean, short term, uh, the fifty day on the S and P is around thirty eight sixty. I don't know that that's going to be a huge, uh, a huge support area, but certainly there'll be some people watching it. Um, and then it kind of gets messy. There's there was just a lot of uh, a lot of choppy trading action between the lows at thirty five hundred and kind of the 3,800 level. So, it's, But from our perspective, it's not so much any one given level. It's kind of a weight of the evidence approach. Um, and I think the biggest change over the last couple of weeks has been the breakdown in the correlation between bonds and stocks. We know that most of this year, um, you know, bonds and stocks were pretty highly correlated. Uh, over the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks, that's shifted, and I think that's because the market is uh, shifting its focus from uh, inflation and the Fed narrative to potentially the the economy narrative. And, uh, okay. um, and you, you notice that today with, with bond yields down big and stocks down big. So that's that's really. The focus, I, I was going to uh, ask you going in.
2: Yeah. Sorry to sorry to interrupt you. Lastly, though, I was gonna I was literally gonna ask you that at that moment when you were saying that. Um, so if yields keep falling. It's no longer a positive for stocks, is what you're suggesting. It becomes more of a negative because of worries about recession.
7: Yeah, I think that's right. We've been kind of highlighting 3.5% level in the 10-year yield. Um, you know, We actually thought that it would hold, um, but we thought that if it didn't, it would be because of those fears and, and therefore probably more of a risk-off sign. I think that's what you're starting to see um, You know, the last couple of weeks.
2: Jonathan, we'll leave it there. I appreciate your time very much. That's Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG's chief market technician. Coming up, are recession fears overblown? Ed Yardeni says the case for a soft landing is still intact. We'll press him on that call next. We're back. It's time for a CNBC News update
3: with Steve Kovac. Hey, Steve. Hey there, Scott. Yeah, here's your CNBC news update at this hour. The Pentagon is sharply increasing the number of Ukrainian soldiers it trains. The target is about 500 per month, nearly twice current levels. The training will include instruction in advanced tactics and weapon systems. The National Archives has released nearly 13,000 documents with new information related to John F. Kennedy's assassination. President Biden had set today as the deadline for their publication. Today's release includes new information on Lee Harvey Oswald's communication with the Soviets prior to Kennedy's assassination. And a new study says Parkinson's disease cases may be severely undercounted. New Parkinson's diagnosis may be 50% higher than current estimates. Researchers analyze insurance claims and population growth figures to come up with the higher case numbers, which could help increase funding and care for disabling disease. Scott, I'll send it back to you.
2: All right, Steve. Appreciate that very much. That's Steve Kovac. Stocks falling hard in today's session as recession fears hit Wall Street. But despite the Fed signaling higher rates for longer, our next guest says a soft landing is still in the cards. Joining me now, Ed Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research. You know, Ed, you've been making this case for a while. And I'm wondering if it's becoming harder to have conviction on, given what Jay Powell said yesterday.
8: I think it's a reasonable concern, uh, given uh, what Powell said and also given today's uh, data, particularly retail sales. We sold off very hard on the retail sales number. Uh, But you know, the Atlanta Fed uh, did revise down their uh, GDP tracking model for the fourth quarter uh, from over 3% to 2.8%. But what's fascinating is they didn't cut the growth rate and consumer spending all that much. They cut it, I think, from 3.7% to 3.4%. I think it's because a lot of the weakness in retail sales was in pricing. You know, consumers had a buying binge in the past couple of years, and now inventories have piled up, and companies have had to discount their inventory. So I think that's a good story in terms of inflation coming down, and I think they are selling the merchandise, and so I think the unit sales are going to be pretty good. Housing, we've got some real weakness in single family, but multifamily is doing extremely well. Uh, Stephanie Lynx and others on your show... That pointed out that there's a tremendous amount of fiscal stimulus in the pipeline, uh, much more so than we've ever had uh, in the economy. Usually, stimulus comes uh, late in a recession, early in a recovery. We've never had this kind of stimulus in front of what everybody fears is going to be a terrible recession.
2: Yeah. Let me ask you this. Was the Fed more hawkish in its outlook yesterday than you expected?
8: Yes and no. I, 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 I guess The optimists in me hope that uh, they would uh, give a little bit more weight to the fact that it certainly looks like the CPI inflation rate peaked in June and continue to moderate right through November. That's a big deal, in my opinion. And I think it's going to continue to moderate. Uh, But I think because the Fed was so late to the game in raising interest rates, now they they may be a little bit uh, uh, overdoing it. But look, I I think the economy is going to prove to be remarkably resilient. I think it can handle five, five and a quarter percent on the Fed funds rate. Uh, I am kind of uh, challenged in that view by the, what's going on in the fixed income markets, because as you know, we're down to like 4.2 percent uh, on the two years. So that's signaling uh, the rates will drop next year, uh, whereas Powell is saying he's going to keep it at five, five and a quarter percent through the end of next year
2: even if they do pause or, or pivot as, yeah. you know, perhaps the, the bond market may be suggesting they ultimately will, yeah. isn't that a negative? Isn't that mm-hmm. they, they would do that because they'd be forced to by the fact that the economy is actually right. starting to tip over? And I would, you know, challenge you on the notion somewhat that, you know, the economy, in your words, I, I believe, as you put it, can handle five yes. to five and a quarter percent. Yes on the Fed funds rate. Do you really right. believe that and how?
8: I do because you know when you look at past uh, business cycles, recessions were really caused by the Fed tightening, which is what's happening now, and the yield curve would invert, which is what is happening now. But what's different this time is we've had financial crises that haven't morphed into an economy-wide credit crunch, which is in the past is really what caused recessions. So I need to see um, more signs that the credit system really is challenged, and it looks pretty strong. It looks like it can handle five, five and a quarter percent on the Fed funds rate uh, without a problem. We had a cryptocurrency meltdown, and we still do. Uh, we had a lot of these uh, speculative stocks uh, melt melt down. I, I would say that bond market uh, bubble uh, is, is an example of the extent to which the market uh, and the and the economy have been able to handle this kind of stress. Uh, really remarkably well. Uh, One more point, Scott, and that is it would be very unusual to have a recession when the labor market is this tight. I'll I'll admit that the unemployment rate usually is at a record low or a cyclical low before recessions, but uh, we've never seen a a scenario where the economy has got such a very strong, hot labor market. How do you get a recession out out of that? Um, I I think the consumers are seeing their wages finally going up faster than prices. I think the payroll employment remains strong. I think the consumers will well, continue to spend. They're just pivoting to be, services.
2: Because it's a lagging indicator, as, as you well know. And the more leading indicators are more negative than the job market Correct. would suggest the economy is.
8: Yeah. Let, let me just say the uh, payroll employment is one of the four components of the index of coincident economic indicators. But you're absolutely right that in February of this year, the index of leading economic indicators peaked, and it's been falling right through November, and uh, that is a concern because it has, has an awfully good record of anticipating recessions. But I think what's missing, as I said, is the financial system is in much better shape this, this time around, and I don't think it's going to trip up the economy.
2: Believe we'll it there. I appreciate the back and forth in the conversation, Ed. Very much. That That's you. Your Denny, Your Denny Research. Up next, some rare green arrows in today's sell-off. Believe it or not, there were some. The home builders holding up despite recent weakness. But with the Fed signaling even more rate hikes are ahead, is there bigger pain coming for the housing trade? We'll discuss with former Pulte Group director Bill Pulte next. Housing stocks, they actually did well today as interest rates fell, but the sector is still, as you know, under severe pressure due to Fed tightening and concerns about the overall economy. Joining us now is Bill Pulte. He's the CEO of Pulte Capital, a former director at Pulte Group. His grandfather founded Pulte Homes. Welcome. It's good to see you. It's been a while.
9: Great to see you, Scott. So
2: you do um, not just because you you know, your namesake um, company have a good idea of what's happening in housing. What, what's your read?
9: on what we see despite the stocks doing well today in a down tape it's ugly out there it is and I think it's gonna be a tough road to hoe I think it depends on what part of the market you're in which geography you're in if you're in the southeast for example you're doing better if you're in the first-time home buyer you're doing better uh, Pulte homes for example, is big in the move up I think that's gonna be pretty tough I mean people are not gonna to wanna to leave their three percent mortgage rates to go into these higher interest rate environments with these high-priced move up homes. So I think it's a tough road to hoe ahead. What's a mortgage rate number that, you know, when, when it got to, you're like, uh-oh,
2: we, it, we got, we've got problems. When
9: it went up about two to 300 basis points, you start to say, okay, this is really affecting the monthly payments that the average person has to pay. And I think you start to see it in traffic, then you really see it in traffic, then it flows through to cancellations, then you see it in orders. And I think you've kind of seen that all flow through the system. I mean, Lennar just posted today and their orders are down, you know, materially. How much more do you think prices have to fall? Well, I think it's not so much about prices falling. Unfortunately, we still have this kind of inventory issue in the country. And a lot of it, in my opinion, has to do actually with zoning more than it does inventory. I mean, a lot of these local municipalities do not want to build a lot of these subdivisions and stuff. So I think prices are going to stay pretty stable on a relative basis. Even if we have a recession? Because it seems like... That, that would almost be a extraordinarily heavy lift for prices not to come down more if the economy weakens even further. I think they could come down. It just depends what's the quantum, right? So uh, if you have a very bad recession, absolutely. But if you have a moderate recession, you have still high inflation. We have seen prices, by the way, in the cost of goods sold going into homes come down, lumber, et cetera. Yeah. Um, Are you are you think there's going to be a recession or no? I do. I do. But just a shallow one? I think a shallow one. I think there's just so much money out there. I think that as it pertains to housing, for example, if they can get interest rates under control, uh, you know, people need to buy homes in this country, period.
2: Yeah. I mean, we have seen rates obviously come down as as overall rates have come down. Let's pivot to another story. This this battle you have going with with the company itself and not really the company. Well, it's the chief operating officer. But by virtue of that the company is is sort of involved. Can you shed some light on what are rather wild accusations that you have levied against the chief operating officer of Pulte?
9: Well, it's not wild or it's wild for us as people to look at it and say, could somebody be really doing this? But we've been tracking it for many, many months. This has been going on for years. This guy's the number two now in the company. He's running this bot campaign, as far as we can tell. Okay. And we've got pretty good forensic proof on this, which is going to be proven out in the suit. I'm hoping Pulte Homes does the right thing. Okay. This isn't about the company in terms of, I don't think that they're behind these bot attacks. I mean, you know, I could be proven wrong because the COO is very close to the CEO, Ryan Marshall, but I'm hoping that's not the case. So I hope they do the right thing
3: so you
2: you you have have sued the chief operating officer in his individual
9: capacity yes of Pulte, and accused him of waging a twitter bot campaign against you incessantly against my grandfather, the founder of Pulte Homes, and me, as well as other members of the Pulte family. You know, I care very much about Pulte Homes, and this type of nonsense should not be going on in a Fortune 500 company, especially an executive of a Fortune 500 company. So, you know, if I have to do what I had to do, you know, in 2016 we turned around the company with Elliott Management. If I have to make a statement that says this is the type of conduct that's not appropriate for an executive, I hope the board does the right thing. They've hired a law firm. I don't think that the law firm, I think the law firm's conflicted. It's King and Spaulding. and they're very close with management. We need a new law firm, needs to be investigated. And, um, you know, Pulte's a great brand, and our family's a great family, but he's accusing family members of mine, so it's very personal, of crimes, uh, you know, Uh, all kinds of crazy stuff, this should not be going on in a Fortune 500 company. So you tweeted, this gentleman's
2: name is Brandon Jones. I'm suing the hell out of Mr. Brandon Jones. He brings scandal to Pulte homes by running Twitter bots to smear me, the Pulte family, undisclosed tweets about Pulte stock, and we have evidence of attacks against some of you. This ends today. The company itself says, and this was a statement to CNBC just a few moments ago, quote, We have no comment on the litigation against a company executive. Separately, we're conducting an independent investigation to determine the facts and whether there has been a violation of our company policies. As I said, they're sort of wild accusations, obviously, against uh, an executive of a public company. I agree. Do you have evidence? I have have proof.
9: These are just accusations, and they're potentially damaging, if not embarrassing, ones at that they are embarrassing and you know one of the things that they do is they. this gentleman allegedly is attacking my followers for not being able to afford a Pulte home okay I mean this is a sitting COO and this is all this law come out but you can't be doing that kinda of stuff that's crazy again allegations well let's, let's keep let's keep it at, allega- at the allegation level because sure. that's pretty much what it is at this point correct well we have forensic evidence and again you know I gotta be careful because it's ongoing litigation we have forensic evidence that points that ties certain things to his email that ties certain things to other profiles that he's done. We sent a notice to the board, and believe it or not, the bots started deleting things. Okay, So there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come out. I think we feel very, very strongly about it. Right, so, we'll, we'll, you know we'll, me. I mean, we're, you know, if we say something, we're going to stand behind it, and we wouldn't have taken this step if we couldn't get it to stop. We'll see where the litigation goes. I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Scott. All right, that's Bill Pulte uh, joining us. Coming up, we're tracking some
2: big stock moves in overtime. Christina Parts and is standing by with that. Christina?
0: Yeah, we've got more executives fleeing Credit Suisse and one food stock on the move after reaffirming its full year guidance. Lots more details coming up right after this short break.
2: All right, welcome back. We have a news alert on Sam Bankman-Fried. Kate Rooney has some new details. Kate?
10: Hey, Scott. So we just got a new filing out from the bankruptcy court in Delaware about FTX here. It looks like they're preparing to list four assets for auction. the first one is Ledger X. this is their derivatives platform, an FTX subsidiary, another Japanese subsidiary. they're looking to list European subsidiary and then an API platform also owned by FTX so the latest in the bankruptcy hearing and we're supposed to also get a hearing tomorrow and get a little bit more detail on this but looking to raise some cash it looks like John Ray the current CEO has talked about trying to offload some of the assets. we know FTX was quite acquisitive and uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was doing a lot of M&A in his time as CEO. We've also got a headline here, Scott, from Reuters. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has made a new bail application before the Bahamas Supreme Court. That, again, is from Reuters. We reached out to Bankman-Fried's lawyers as well as the Supreme Court there. No comment, but he is being held in a correctional facility, we know, in Nassau. His lawyers appear to be fighting uh, the extradition to the U.S. He also... Um, He was denied bail because he was a flight risk, but we're reaching out on that, Scott. We'll uh, let you know if we hear anything on that. Back to you.
2: All right. I appreciate that. Yep. Kate Rooney, thank you so much for that. Uh, We are tracking the biggest movers, as we said, in overtime as well. Today, Christina Parts is here with that. Christina?
0: Krispy Kreme held an investor day today, and we're learning in overtime that the food retailer is reaffirming its full year 2022 guidance while forecasting a 2023 revenue growth of low double digits. Management believes, though, that Insomnia Cookies, which they partnered with back in 2018, actually, still has massive opportunity to expand. The stock is down just under... 1% 1% lower right now in the OT. Let's move on to shares of United States Steel moving higher after posting Q4 EPS guidance, earnings per share, of course, of 58 to 63 cents a share. That's higher than the fact, sets and fact set estimates. Management says they're on track to deliver their second best financial year with the CEO saying, quote, December commercial demand in the United States is better and scrap prices have begun to increase this month. You can see uh, the stock up 3% in extended hours at the moment. And then last but not least, shares. Of Credit Suisse moving slightly higher, uh, three tenths, or sorry, I should say six tenths of a percent right now on a Wall Street Journal report that the bank has lost two managing directors. Only weeks after losing another executive from the private fund group, the bank has struggled as of late. They had announced cuts back in October, and you can see it went up a little bit higher. than they announced cuts in uh, China, I should say, in November, and so we saw a little bit of an increase. And they're planning on raising billings to recover from previous losses. The stock. Slightly higher in the OT. Scott.
2: All right. We'll keep following that story, too. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks. We will see you soon. All right. Up next, we have much more on today's tech rec. The Nasdaq dropping 3% top tech money manager, Eric Jackson. He tells us how he's navigating the sell-off, the stock he's buying. We'll do it next. All right. So the results of our Twitter question. We asked, what will be the best performing sector in 2023? Tech is your winner. Interesting. One tech stock has been getting crushed lately. Tesla hit a 52-week low today, now down some 52% in the past year. Shares finishing the day higher despite the broad market weakness. Tesla CEO Elon Musk, he's been a seller of that stock. Our next guest, though, bought more yesterday, in fact. Eric Jackson, he's the founder and president of EMJ Capital. He joins us now uh, on the phone as as you see there. Why'd you buy more?
11: Well, Tuesday, Scott, was the biggest volume day trading Tesla stock of the of the entire year. They traded 175 million shares. Even when the CPI was up in the morning and everything was up um, within the first half hour, Tesla was one of the first stocks to go negative. Didn't make sense. It's not been trading with the market for the last few days. I thought something was up. So there was some big seller out there. It, it ended up being Elon. And you know now the selling is done, at least for the short term, and typically those are those are good opportunities to buy
2: how do you know it's done for the short term right I mean when you say the selling was was elon um, you could have you said that before you know you could have said that before and before and before again how do you know this is it
11: <laughs> well we don't know I mean we for the very short term ie for the next month I, I think he's done selling but he's dumped almost a four billion uh worth of stock now he's sold 39 billion since November of 2021 um, you know he bought he bought twitter for 44 billion so I can't predict the future, but I think he's he's unloaded enough stock that I think he should be okay. Uh, And for the short term, at least, I don't think there's, you know, there's going to be uh, any more need for him to sell. And with the amount of selling that's gone on this year, I think it's a nice entry for Tesla.
2: Are are you any more than a short term holder of these shares? You've said the words short term uh, several times already in this uh, short time that we've been been speaking. Are are you a long term or a short timer?
11: Well, in this market, uh, nobody's been rewarded this year for being a long-timer. And so I think you've got to take everything with, with a grain of salt and, and, you know, with the macro conditions. But uh, I have said with you before that I believe going into next year that Tesla and Apple are the two big cap tech stocks that I believe in the most uh, for next year. So uh, assuming the macro doesn't fall out of bed, uh, um, I would love to remain a, a long-timer with Tesla.
2: Wow, that's, it's amazing that you think that, that Tesla and Apple are the, are the two uh, to bank on. So then I'll, I'll go a step further then, assuming that you may be in it for longer than maybe I originally anticipated until you answered that question. do You don't have any great concerns that uh, other you know, larger shareholders, for example, have expressed about his attention being diverted towards Twitter more so than Tesla, and that's in part why the stock has suffered so greatly?
11: Well, despite the fact that I love Twitter, most of America—in fact, the vast majority of America is not on Twitter and is not paying attention to any of Elon's tweets. Uh, SpaceX is is more than just Elon. Tesla is more than just Elon. You have to have, obviously, great uh, engineers working at both companies to make it work. I just think this is short-term noise, Uh, the recent criticisms of him that's going to be forgotten. Tesla is is still a great car company that a lot of people are still going to want to buy going into 2023. So I, I think this is short-term noise.
2: Let me ask you about tech more broadly before I let you go. Um certainly seems to be the most at risk it has been to higher rates and a much more aggressive uh, Fed, a higher for longer scenario if you will. Uh isn't that a problem going into the new year?
11: It's a problem for sure. <laughs> In 2022 it's been a huge problem for tech. Uh, I am optimistic, like the polls like, you know, that, that you mentioned right off the top, that, uh, you know, the fact that tech has taken such a beating this year probably sets it up as a, you know, contra indi- indicator for, for one that's going to do the best in 2023. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the Jeremy Siegel camp. I mean, I think the Fed's totally off base with, with their direction. They're over-tightening. It's going to hurt in the long term. Um, but eventually, they're going to realize that, that we're going to reverse and tech, like just like they were the first into this mess, so they're going to be the first out of it.
2: Whether that is deemed to be a positive for the market, uh, I suppose we shall see. Uh, Eric, I appreciate your time very much. Be well. We'll talk to you soon. That's Eric Jackson of EMJ joining us there with an interesting call, not only buying Tesla in the last couple of days, but thinking that Tesla and Apple are going to be the leaders for tech next year. I'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great evening. Does it for us here in overtime. Fast money begins right now.